Welcome to the machine. I mean, welcome to the panel, welcome to the machine, art in the age of artificial intelligence. I wanted to sort of start out with something slightly, you know, appropriately dystopian there. Um, sort of just to set the tone, this is a panel that I always thought I'd be on. I thought I'd be on it in 2033, not 2023. I was hoping I would get here by like jetpack or flying car. But alas, it's in 2023, and I, I walked. But, um, you know. Um, and it's, you know, I, it's uh, over the past few months, it, you know, when I say I thought I'd be doing it in 2033, it's something that we've all known AI is coming. We've all known that it's going to affect art and music. But over the past few months, I think this has gone from a someday issue to a today issue. Um, it's coming much quicker than anyone thought. We all know AI art can't be copyrighted in the US. That's one thing we do know. Um, today, the Copyright Office issued a policy statement that qualified that, put it sort of stated what was copyrightable in a bit more detail. I assume that as time goes on, we'll get more detail either from the Copyright Office or from case law. Um, but this is still gonna be a challenge in a number of ways for musicians, for other kinds of artists. The most obvious way we'll talk about today is in streaming. The most immediate is probably gonna be in background music. The good news for I think the whole music business is that the music industry is organizing itself to respond immediately, I think very reasonably, and I also think very broadly. Right now, 40 groups representing artists, performers, writers, athletes, and others have launched a statement of principles for the human artistry campaign. Just the fact that we have a human artistry campaign seems a little dark in my mind. Um, I thought the alternative was those like painting elephants or something, but no. Um, it's worth reading the whole thing. You should go online and find it. The basic idea, though, is that AI should be used in ways that support human creativity, not ways that replace it. It lays this out in seven principles that I think are worth reading and important. By now, you're sick of listening to me, so I'll introduce my panelists. Um, at the end, we have Aaron Riley, a professor and the founding director of the Texas Immersive Institute. Did I get that right? At the University of Texas, Austin. Uh, Dan Navarro in the middle, singer, songwriter, and a voice actor. He was in Encanto and Coco, who's on SAG-AFTRA National Board and the MLC Unclaimed Royalties Committee. Um, right here, Jesse Wilson, in some ways the most important person on the panel, a singer, songwriter who has written with Usher and Faith Hill and released an album, Phase, which is great. And we'll be dealing with, these, with this issue for, I think, a long time. She's at the beginning of a very promising career, I think. Um, so I'll start with you. How do you see this, not just in terms of your career, but in terms of the, what it means for art? You know, humans are the only ones who create art until today. Suddenly, today, here comes the campaign for human artistry. You know, it's like the campaign to save the whales. I, I don't, I'm uncomfortable with that. I am uncomfortable, too, I have to admit. Um, 
So I am not used to speaking in public in this way. Uh, and when I got asked to do the panel, I was so nervous uh, about speaking on something that I really don't know too much about, which is artificial intelligence. But what I do know about is the communication with uh, the muse and with spirit and with the invisible as it pertains to writing and writing music and creating art. So I jotted down like stream of consciousness, just some notes because I didn't want to fumble up here. Um, this is not succinct in any way, but that's a part of humanity as well. So I'm just going to just like share it with you. And it says, I wrote first, machine versus magic. Um, and I thought about my experience and what I bring to a song every time I sit down. I'm a black woman born in Brooklyn, New York. My mother's African-American. My father's Afro-Cuban. We listen to those sounds in my home. Uh, and so when I go to write a song, it's that plus, plus my lived experience, all the heartache, all the joy, all of the, all of the challenges that I bring to a song. Um, so I said, these are the things that a person takes to a song. When a person goes to create art and write a song, they are pushing against any number of insecurities or aspects of who they are. I write songs as a human being, as a black woman. A computer doesn't know what it means to be black or to be insecure. A computer doesn't know what it feels like to have a broken heart. And then I thought about me being from New York, regional awareness. In so much of music, especially in hip hop, which I grew up listening to, a rapper, you'll hear them repping New York or repping wherever they're from, and the computer doesn't know what it feels like to grow up anywhere. I think about Tupac and his song, Dear Mama, and how humanly complex and emotional that is. He references her struggle with drug addiction, but also praises her like a god at the same time. That's individually, massively human. And um, every time I think about a person like Lizzo, for instance, her existence, it's not just the sound that comes from the radio. It's not just the lyrics that come from her mind or her experiences that turn into a song. It's her body, it's her essence, it's her actual being that makes the music inspiring. And so representation is such an important conversation that's going on in our society today. And music doesn't exist also without the image of a human being, you know? It makes it more powerful when you see yourself looking at you, whether you're Asian or Latin or black, or if you're gay or if you're trans, when you see yourself doing something that you want to do in life, it gives you permission, it gives you hope and says that you can. Um, and I wrote, also wrote that every time I've ever been through anything in life, I knew I could overcome it because a song told me that I could which means that somebody told me that I could. They went through it and said that I could. A computer doesn't survive. A computer is not a survivor. Art lies in the fear of mortality. And so, you know, those are just a few of my thoughts as it pertains to all of this. I think that we as creators, we're, we're open to technology. I use it every day, you know? Um, 
I use the thesaurus. I use the rhyme dictionary. I use Pro Tools. I use synthesizers. These are all forms of artificial intelligence. But when you take the human touch off of the technology, I think we're venturing into a very dangerous space. These movies like Megan, <laughs> anyone seen that? <laughs> they don't exist for no reason. I think that, you know, we should be cautious. Um, but I will say, in every uh, film that I've ever loved, and I'm really into writing for film. Most recently, I was nominated for a Grammy for writing the theme song for The Woman King, which was an amazingly brilliant movie last year. Thank you. But in each story, whether it's written literature or visual media, there's a singular idea of who we are as human beings and that we, no matter what, we will survive. We're resilient and we'll figure out a way how to be here no matter what. And so my only hope is that if this technology advances beyond um, the feeling or the need that the human is necessary to the art, that somehow it will implode and maybe we can start over from scratch and that there can be something pure again, something that makes you know a love supreme possible again. That's all I have to say. Can we get a round of applause, please? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, we're going to try to go on. I'm not sure how much we're going to add to that. Mike. But, I mean, come on. That's what I'm thinking. You know, because you, you put it very well. Art is an artist. Art of any kind, music, whatever, is someone's comment on humanity, their lived experience. A computer doesn't know what it's like to grow up in New York or anywhere. Um, and a, a, let me get the philosophical response. I mean, you, you, Aaron, you work with AI. Like, what, do, like when a computer is, and I think, tell me if this is right, a computer is not thinking about itself as a computer from nowhere. It's, it's not going to write your motherboard. It's going to look at it's scanning, and this is what I find creepy about AI, it is in some ways scanning all of our lived experiences from traces of us online. Yeah, but I, was, that... I would say, I don't know if this is on or not, but... Oh, it is, okay. Um, I, I would say that it's, it's, it's a baby, it's a toddler, you know? It is, AI is scanning, it's scraping all of our lived experiences, but it's learning as it, as it grows. And so what you just shared, which totally mic drop, um, is something that an AI on its own can't do. You know, I think the way to think about artificial intelligence is that it is helping, it's helping us to actually become a better artist. It's, it's a tool to use for inspiration, to use to, like a thesaurus, right? To re relieve us from maybe some day-to-day -day kind of quick things of like, I need, I'm kind of thinking about this, and maybe you pitch it to your friend or your husband, I'm like, what do you think about this? I would say AI could become one of those friends, you know, a friend to actually share that knowledge. Now, don't leave it alone because it is a child and it, it is only a reflection of us and it's the good and the bad of a reflection of us. Um, but we need to actually use it to em empower us to do better. And we call that distributed cognition, 
right? So the, the like the skill of that is the ability to um, to empower us to have higher order thinking. So if we use AI appropriately, we're asking it questions. We're co-editing and co-connecting, collaborating with it. We're ask, we're being critical in kind of the information it's giving back to us, including the fake or the wrong information, since it is scraping information. It could be fake. So you need to actually say, is this accurate? Can you cite this? Who owns this? Uh, which actually a lot of people don't do when they're first using AI or ChatGPT or any of the tools. They just take it for granted that it's going to spit back what you want it to. Dan, what is this? AI at the present time is going to be generating quote-unquote art based on what it scrapes off the net, but it doesn't have the experience that led to that creation. The frustration, the frustration you resolve when you make a decision between am I gonna zig or am I gonna zag. I've always called songwriting the decision-making process, and when someone else is making that decision for you, it's no longer art. I did something in college where I created something at a place that made motel paintings. And basically, every, there was like this bridge scene over, over the East River. And one person did the bridge. It was all done by hand. One person did the bridge, one person did the bush, one person did the cityscape. But it's not art, because it's just mechanically recreated. And art comes in when a sum total of experiences and emotions come into play in how you make the decision. And that's exactly what you said. The sum total of a life experience that goes between making this decision and that decision. And I do think AI will be a valuable tool um, I'm an old guy, so I have a feeling people might think I want to say, outlaw it, which I don't believe. And, and we're not going to. We've been through this before. I, use, I don't use rhyming dictionaries, but, and I don't use autotune. My producer uses autotune, <laughs> and my co-writers use writing dictionaries, and I use samples, and I use loops, and I use all that stuff. And I'm an acoustic singer-songwriter, so it's pretty organic. But the main point is that I choose to make my creations a particular way. I don't denigrate the people who choose to use them with helpers. But I don't really want to give copyright or that kind of credence to pushing a button, going off and making a sandwich and coming back and you've got a song. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think that's the wrong way to think about AI. Um, so, for example, I'm one of those rebel professors that allows my students to use AI to write their papers. Um, but, but but with some caveats. One is if they just literally uh, asked it to make a statement, went off and got a sandwich, and then came back, I would know it would be crap paper, mm -hmm. right? It's just gonna spit something out that's generic, and actually maybe half of the class does that, and they all turn in the same type of paper that's terrible, right? Um, but if they're actually returning it, seeing what's put back and said, hey, wait, this second paragraph you wrote, let's actually make sure that you're attributing it to someone, um, because I don't know if that quote is actually accurate. Find out what the citation is, put it in there, quote it. And the third paragraph, uh, you know, I wanted to actually dive into a particular theme, and it's like co-editing with it. Then we get to something more robust, where it becomes like a writer's room in a TV, in, in like, in, like mm -hmm. for television. You are collaborating and asking it questions and poking at things over and over again to get something just, better. Just for fun, how many of you have a pass like this with the QR code on it? <laughs> for a second, scan your QR code. Go ahead. I don't know if this is AI or another type of technology, but I, <laughs> everyone just for, 
Quick, quick laugh to lighten a serious topic. I got a video by Rachel Levine and a video by Admiral Levine, not related to either. Oh, I left my pass. Uh, she got Wilson. Oh, I got Wilson. Uh, baseball baseball mitts. mitts. Yeah. That doesn't even seem like wow. if you're a singer song. Navarro College. Uh, Dave Navarro, yeah. Okay. okay, so Dave Navarro, so far the closest we've come. O'Reilly Auto Parts. So, if you, so one second, if you think about, these are, these are all, I am and my panelists are all, well, I'm not really, they're public people, smart, they're accomplished. I, did you not know I own the auto parts shop? Okay, but like, they're, they're all accomplished people. Their lives are, their accomplishments are online, even if their lives aren't. And these guesses, baseball mitts, <laughs> auto parts, are lousy. Dave Navarro, at least he's doing the same. That's, he's my cousin. That's close, but Navarro College Wait, is he is really not. your, hold on, is he really your cousin? Yes, yeah, my cousin. I, okay, there you go. That's, that's just, but if you think, okay, Here. four people, we got one person's cousin. That's pathetic. So I just wanted to, like, this is something that's happening. It's going to start out, and I want to steer this for a second. It's not going to start out with songs. It's probably going to start out with background music. Because one thing that I, I, I'm trying to get these terms in public hasn't really happened yet. I call it sleep wave and spa core. Mm. It's a fancy way. It's an indie geek way of referring to background music. Yeah, a lot of what people do on streaming is they listen to mood-based music, dinner party playlist, sleep playlist, study playlist. How quickly can AI do some of that? Because it's functional music. It's not, I don't know if it's exactly art. It might be more akin to craft. Source cues. A source cue, you're in a scene in a movie, and there's a guy at an auto shop, and the mechanic is listening to the radio, and shop. it is generically some kind of Spanish-language music that, you, that everybody in the world would call mariachi except Latinos. Because that's, you know, and it'll come out, and it'll be back there because it'll be this loud in the mix. And all it's designed to do is put authenticity into the scene. That probably will happen. I mean, they're using needle drop or, you know, production music um, for that now, library music. Yeah, a lot of stock library is for free and copyright free. I mean, I don't think we've... We, this isn't a new. This isn't a new conversation on rethinking copyright. I mean, John Taplin and T Bone Burnett was at the Futures of Entertainment conference more than a decade ago, arguing that like we needed to really think about ownership and authorship in a new way. Um, and I remember being at that conversation with a lot of MIT nerds. Sorry, but I was one, so it's okay. I can call them nerds. <laughs> Um, and um, it was a huge argument because um, anyone that's in this world or like being a programmer, a developer, a designer in the technology, we want to push forward. We want to innovate. We want to actually, you know, see where these tools can go. But I think, I think the thing that y'all are sharing is go cautiously. And we said that a decade ago. Go cautiously. You know, be careful of the choices we're making now. If you're de design, if you're a designer of artificial intelligence, you know, think about what we want to keep to ourselves versus actually what we want a machine to do for us to make our lives convenient. Maybe lives 
shouldn't be always convenient. Let's drill down to that I, for a second. I think you, that I just wanted to ahead. add to that. I was actually reading an article in preparation for this uh, panel, and it was on Billboard. There's a there's a program out there that can generate music, and it doesn't need. Uh, you, if you were to try to make a song, you don't need to have any skill, no musical skill. skill. You don't need to have any musical background, no talent at all. And this program can possibly write the next hit song. This is how they're promoting these tools. And I think that that's highly problematic, especially, and, and it's gearing it towards like young creators. And I think that's problematic, especially in this uh, culture that we live in, a very fast pace, I want it now, I want it now, I don't want to have to work for it culture. And at that point, it's just like you said, it's not art. And it's not art because art is the struggle in the room. When you are searching your brain and you're like, okay, what's the next line? What's Oh, it's not that word, it's this word. Oh, that sounds cliche. This feels deeper. This hits a different chakra. This, this is a different color. When you struggle with that, that's what makes art. Not, not generating you know, something that's been fed. And not to mention, if someone doesn't need to study, a part of what makes music so beautiful is that it's built on tradition. And so if a person doesn't need to study, then there's no need for tradition. There's no need for mastery. And then what do we have? You know, if, I'm a, if I want to be, if I want to write for operas, but I know nothing about that, what gives me the right to then step into a space where there have been people who have studying their whole lives and then just press a button and now I'm able to exist in that space with them. That, that shouldn't be, we should always have to work for where we are. But I think one of the questions is, I agree with you, part of the reason that happens, everything you're saying is right, part of the reason that happens is that when you press that button, the computer is not creating it from the computer, the computer is creating it from what the computer has scanned online. And there's this thing where, you know, you're talking about, you both talked about very interestingly, creating using tools. You're the creator, the computer is the tool. I sort of like being at the top of the food chain that way. I'm not that kind of creator, but I like that. With AI, you're pressing the button, the computer's doing the creation, the tool is the other creators who came before you. The computer is scanning them. It's using their art, their experiences as tools. This is a little beyond copyright and streaming services, but there's something, it, then, uh, then we're sort of at the bottom of the food chain. I, I liked myself right up there, you know? It's, it's oh, not- man. When I write, I run It's a little Soylent Green, you know? I run everything I write through the so what test when it's done. It's like, there it is. It sounds like music, looks like music, so what? And when I can find with a key to why it's just average and try to make it above average. But what you're talking about, um, yeah, the machine's going to scrape the sum total of whatever experience. A lot of that stuff's copyrighted. A lot of what is out there is subject to right of publicity. And there's a name. I'm going to mention it. I don't want to demonize this person, but it's in the news big time. David Guetta. 
and what he did using one engine to create a piece of music and a separate engine to put Eminem's voice created from whole cloth in there. Now, he's not, he says he's not going to release it commercially, but he did say this is the future of music. And if to me that's the future of music, then the future of cuisine is brown beige food product that will sustain life but will please no one because it will sustain life. You have to dig deeper. And my job as a songwriter is I, if this is really what's happening, I have to get better to do what humans do. But these things are happening, and we have to deal with them. Copyright, I'm afraid, I believe it needs to be protected. I don't believe a machine should be allowed to copyright something or the owner of the machine or the button pusher. Copyright. Right now, that's the case. That's the case right now. Um, I could see the pressures to change that. Um, Right of publicity is huge. With regard to, I mean, Eminem's lawyers would be all over that if it were ever commercially released. And considering what happened 25 years ago or more with Tom Waits and Bette Midler, he'd win. Describe that, because I'm not sure everyone remembers that. Back in the day, um, Bette Midler was approached to do a commercial. She said no. So they got a sound alike. This was not a sample. This was not computer generated. To sing, I think it was Do You Want to Dance, exactly like her. And she said, I already told you no. She sued and won. Tom Waits did the same thing when someone did a Tom Waits thing and put it out there. And basically sidestepping the sound of his voice, the unique sound of his voice or her voice, and what they own in their sound, their name, and their likeness under what's called the right of publicity. And I think, sorry, we we call that the right of publicity... And the right of publicity makes it sound a little less serious right. than it's it might a- be. And I, I just want to focus on that for a second. That's the legal term is right of publicity. Tom Waits has the right for people not to think he's endorsing, was it Doritos, something like right. that. But there's also something more profound, which is this is Tom Waits's essence Self. I mean, Tom Waits is not a guy with a gravelly voice. He's a very accomplished artist, and that gravelly voice is a important part of his art. I, I don't know that I can explain it much better than that, but there's something more than publicity that's happening here. You're imitating well, and it gets into the who he is. issue of yeah, actors whose faces are put on, I mean, female actors who are put in nude scenes they never agreed to do. And this happens, this is happening, and people are starting to try to, to bring it to bear and get legislation around it. Um, the, the college players who ended up in a video game they never authorized because they didn't have the right to that because of NCAA rules, but I think that they prevailed in the actions. The whole thing is when you start scraping the sum total of creativity out there, that creativity came from somewhere and from someone. And they still, I mean, when I learned about common law copyright, when I first came up as a songwriter literally 46 years ago, is that what I create belongs to me until I sell it or give it away. And if you steal it, you've still stolen it. And I hate the word stolen, but... Uh, Well, I I would just add, because we looked a lot at this uh, when we were developing uh, a paper with Harvard on on the ethics of of ownership and authorship. And one of the things we we were reviewing was uh, when the rise of creative commons, uh, because, you know, stealing in digital media is very easy, you know, and people are able to do that throughout all of the Web 2.0 that we're living in. 
um, uh, the, where we, we always were saying, hey, can't we add metadata of ownership or authorship on any asset that's going through digital media? Well, at that time, a decade ago, we couldn't do that. But now as we move into the blockchain, you know, this is the one thing I love about the blockchain is that the ledger is that it has a security where we can identify every asset's whose owner is. And no matter where it spreads or moves, it will be able to keep that ownership. If you sell it, then the original author will always get something out of that. The problem with blockchain, though, is it's only one owner at a time. And as artists, I'm sure you know, we're often collaborating, and it's multiple people owning something. Um, so I would highly recommend you guys look at the hollow chain as well, which is the next wave of the blockchain, which allows for multiple owners to be part of that ledger in order for the assets to move together. And I think you'll see that as AI continues to grow, you're going to see that a necessity of if, if we're really going to want to protect copyright, a necessity for every type of asset that's on this next wave of the internet will have a ledger to be tracked. But let's talk about the copyrightability for a second because scan, you know, scanning all of this, we don't know if, I mean, we don't fully know if copyright allows you, allows an AI to scan everything. If, if a copyright, if a AI program is scanning all your music and it's using that to create something new, is that a violation of copyright? Not entirely clear. It's how you use it. It's like what you then do and use it. And it's only as good as what it's scraping. So, you know, a lot of these tools, really, the, the developers, and I've said this for a very long time, they need media literacy people on those teams. They need people who understand copyright to ensure that the data lakes they're creating is actually copyright-free material or have been, been given the permission, which they're not doing. They're just grabbing a lot of data. And the confusing world of fair use, yes. which has nothing to do with monetization. Education is pretty well protected, but there's a lot of gray areas in fair use. And here you are argue, you could argue, I don't know that I could do so with a straight face, but someone will, you're educating the toddler that is AI. I right. mean, you know, this, this toddler is sitting there, he's going to be a, exposed to the great works of literature and he's probably going to poop. But you know, that, that's not a copyright, that's not a copyright. You know, you, well, you it could, is a reflection of us. <laughs> right, but, but I'm saying, you could, it's going to only be as good as we You are. could educate an AI using only things that are in the public domain. You could educate an AI on the public domain, and that AI might write, you know, given the age of the public domain, classical music, jazz, very big novels. You could educate it on Creative Commons. It could write um, stuff. Yeah. But what, let me take this down a notch for one second. You were talking about the difference between art and processed food product. Mm. Some of the music we listen to is a little like that. I don't mean art music, but if you think about functional music, some music is made for you to go Hold to sleep. Hold buttons. What? Hold buttons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hold music is not, some, you know, that is, I don't actually have a problem with an AI created hold music. I'd rather just honestly not have hold music, but that's me. There, you know, I, and part of this is, I'm veering for a second. The business has changed. I used to live on 14th Street in New York. 
I had a stereo and I had a white noise machine. The stereo was to listen to music, music that I was writing about at the time, music that I enjoyed to dance to, to think about, to be entertained by, to be inspired by. The white noise machine was to block out the noise of 14th Street. And it was a little gadget. It wasn't, I don't know if anyone had thought to copyright anything on it. You turned it on and it made a rain sound or a static sound. Now, a lot of that stuff all comes from Spotify. And you all of a sudden have a situation where the same music that does all these fantastic, inspiring things takes some of the same royalty pool, some of the same business model as the burbling brook, the, the summer rainstorm, the white noise. And I don't think that anyone here can make a serious, I don't mean a moral argument, but can make a factual argument that in 10 years, the burbling brook isn't going to be an AI business. I think probably welcome to, you know, it's entitled. But if you take all that functional music that's played on Spotify out of the royalty pool, and let's face it, someone's going to game it. Most of us sleep eight hours a night. You divide that eight hours up into 30-second clips, 31-second clips of white noise, that's a lot of royalties coming out of the pool. This is the immediate threat. It's not as exciting as to think what, what are the experiences of a computer, but this is what's going to happen right now. How do we deal with that slightly more boring but also very important threat? Because that's going to be a problem. I still think it puts the responsibility on the artist to be better, to create a, a uniquely human experience that tells you contradictory stories, that tells you the, the, that writes about the good part of a bad day. I mean, my big hit song for Pat Benatar, We Belong, is used in weddings. It's a song about a relationship in decay, and it's used in weddings. That contradiction is human. Now, maybe you could try to program AI to create that, but you know, today on, on, um, on the panel today on AI, which I went to and I thought was great, they were playing examples, and the audience guessed most of, whether it was human or AI, 70% of the time maybe, yeah. a little better than half, going, yeah, that's fake. Occasionally we would miss, but we can tell. Now, eventually we won't be able to tell. But it does put the pressure, it, there's no question it puts the pressure on us, Jesse, to get better at what we do so that the human experience is preserved. Unless, it, unless it's like that chess game on your phone that you can't beat and that no human can beat. What happens when it's taught itself so well and it's scrubbed so much that the human can't keep up? with it well and that's yeah, where this that's, comes in <laughs> I, I, talk, I, I talk think about that's really that because i think that's actually really interesting yeah and, and it already is happening um with the it's called the turing test which actually where you test to see if an a if you if ai fakes if you can fake it right if you realize it's human and i think a lot of some a lot of the ai tools that are out there now are passing the turing test meaning a lot 
there, there's 30%, you know, that you saw today that can't tell if it is a human or a machine. Um, and I think we need to, you know, this is where the principles come into play. It's where actually developers need to have a design team that ha there, there needs to be some sort of ethical framework uh, that needs to be put in place for developers to say, what should I and shouldn't I do? Just because I can do it, should I do it? And we should be asking ourselves those questions. And what about the human side of us where, you know, I'm assuming that a good 90% of the people in this room are just good to the core. But then there are those people in the world, as we see, you know, there's yin and yang, there's negative and positive. There will always be the human being that wants to push things to doom. Right. And so and I, I, even within a framework like that, I think that can even be you know, destroyed because some people are intent on destroying things. Yeah, I, think I agree. Part of that is there has to be social pressure. Yeah. If you think about the example I use, you know, you could very easily fill up streaming services with 30-second clips that play automatically for eight hours. That's got to be, you know, contractually, there has to be pressure with those services. If you want... If you want to be a white noise streaming service, that's great. You don't also get great songwriters. Unless you have a way to split the royalty pool, that's fair. Fair is a dangerous word. Different people have different interpretations of it. But I think we can all agree that 30-second clips playing endlessly, sort of draining the pool, sorry for the metaphor, that's not fair. Who are you kidding? And some of that can come from social pressure, I think. Yeah, I, I was working um, with IBM on, on Watson, on motivation. And, you know, it's, it's really easy to train machine learning to understand why people are motivated, which then kind of gets, gets to the kind of emotion of what you all are writing about. Um, but where it lacks is, like, the nuances. We've talked about sarcasm. Sarcasm. You know, sarcasm is, is, is always the opposite of what you're saying. So while I can train an AI model to really understand if I really want to learn something or see myself represented in it and the kind of words that people, humans use, it can't actually understand the jokes. And if they do, they're dad jokes, and dad jokes can only I go love so far. That. Wait a minute. <laughs> They're so bad. We, we, we literally, on my Discord, because we're building this social and emotional character right now, we literally have like a whole channel on uh, the shit Moose says. Moose is our character. The shit Moose says, because it's so bad. You know, like, and we're here really pushing it, trying to push and see what it does. And I just think, I think we need to be aware that we should uh, be careful of the choices we make to train this child you know, and if we're pushing the envelope on where, find out what its limitations are so that we can create that framework of maybe we shouldn't go past this bar. That brings me back to this piece of paper from the Human Artistry Campaign, which is basically a series of premises, core principles, with regard to ethics and the legal aspect of what those ethics drive that continue to protect human interest. I'm not talking about laws that codify and protect buggy whips. I'm talking about that protects this because this because the, the technology will flourish yeah. regardless of what we do or don't do, which is why I say it's up to Jesse and I to get better at what we do. But these principles actually pretty much make sense. Use of copyrighted works 
needs to be in compliance. Yeah. Um, and these principles, they're common sense. I certainly expect some tech people to go, oh, boo-hoo, you guys are, you know, you want us to feather your nest, and that isn't it. You know, and I don't need anybody to protect my livelihood. But from a legal standpoint, I don't want people to get away with murder creatively um, when these are actually protected by laws that exist now. I think it's also a question of fairness, because if you're competing with, the AI, with an AI to write a better song, that's competition. If the AI is analyzing every song you write and using the elements of it in a way that's not that violates your rights, that's not fair competition. Fair competition, I think humans usually do okay. I, I fully, you know, I'm a journalist. I fully expect that in the next five to ten years, you're not going to see many business journalists writing earnings stories. You're not going to see many human beings covering high school football games. And I think that's, you know, that's a loss for training young journalists, but we'll get over it. We'll, we'll do other stuff. Some of that stuff is kind of commodity work anyway. We'll be fine. But if the AI learns from that and moves up a step, that's trickier. And I think we have to cut a line between fair competition and unfair competition. And th these principles, which I think are fairly adoptable in different situations and different art forms, are a very good way to, to start that. It, I do think you will have, you know, I keep going back to the processed food. There's a market for it. Yeah, you want absolutely. to separate. The great thing about processed sludge is we should usually do label it sludge. If people are in the mood for sludge, have at it. But we, we label things, and you can choose what you want. I, I don't actually object to having white noise. Sometimes it helps me sleep. But I don't want it disguised as art. I mean, you know, Elise, uh, um, uh, Paris, uh, Eliza Pariser, I think he did filtered bubbles in social media. I kind of feel like the same thing will just repeat itself with AI. Is that there? you can go to Futurepedia right now and, and every AI tool out there, try it. Um, but if the more people that start using ChatGPT and all these other tools, the more it's going to just become dog food. You know, it's going to be the same thing over and over again, and we're going to get stuck in the this filtered bubble, this new filtered bubble of of it all being sludge. I worry about that a little because you said, I think you said the internet's a mirror, or AI's a mirror of us, yeah. and I, I look at the internet as a mirror of us too. It, it's what we, the internet is what we all put on the internet, and I feel like it's a, it's the least flattering mirror of humanity you could imagine. I look at, into the mirror and I... And the I, best. It's a I, I see the bad parts. Maybe that's maybe that's me. I maybe I'm a pessimist. I okay, mean, fair yeah. enough. I'm, I'm no, I mean, that's, the internet. <laughs> I, that's fair enough. Let, let me rephrase that. I see the bad parts. That's my nature. You see the good parts. You're probably a happier person. But what's dangerous about it, whatever you see first, is that the bad parts can be very dangerous. I, I, I think I joked when we were preparing for the panel, what happens when the AI listens to Randy Newman? I think Randy Newman is an acerbic-witted genius, but an AI could very easily mistake him as racist, misogynist, anti-short people, 
you name it. And like, I don't know if it's going to take that the right way. It's yeah. back to the sarcasm, it, it, satire. Yeah, when I was when I was training Moose, uh, we wanted Moose to be snarky, and um, it, and uh, and in the end, he just sounded mean. <laughs> he, was, he was just mean, and we like were literally like. Is he well, a teenager yet? I'm just uh, curious. It, 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 <laughs> just throwing that out there. Maybe, maybe, and and we had to like pull back on the on the on the variance of how snarky do we want snark to come across uh, without it like because you you read it if you and it depends on which medium if they were speaking it which I don't really like because it always sounds like a computer voice you really can't get a human voice unless you're recording it so far uh, but if you're reading it you, you're it's your interpretation of it so it depends on yeah. how you read it. The other day, my phone read me back someone's text, and it sounded human, in that it had rise and fall in not consistent places that was like, wow, that's a conversation. And I was kind of, my mind was, the first time I'd heard that, it doesn't sound like this anymore, but it was, it was not weird. I want to briefly go back to the Turing test that we did at Bill Hochberg's panel. Um, we did miss some, but the ones that we missed, both directions, were usually very short clips of genre-specific stuff. And something that was some funk that I thought was a machine was absolutely human. There was some other soul music in that, or just something really action. No, it was EDM, we guessed. All the vocal music we could identify as generated by AI. It was a country song, it was opera. Oh, that's interesting. And, they, and it was absolutely like, yeah, that's not, that's not human. Is that a processing power problem or a more spiritual problem? Uh, definitely spirit, both. Okay. <laughs> it's both. The EDM thing is interesting. You mean they, it didn't recognize um, it? Well, it, uh, we, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I think that it was AI, and I think that I, I know I raised my hand thinking it was human. Uh, yeah, I, I would think it's AI. The majority of EDM is. But all of the clips that were the hardest to discern were the ones that were very short clips of extremely genre-specific stuff. Um, as opposed to something, the classical piece with no vocals was easy to identify. The country song had gibberish lyrics, and I, I just said there's a half step in there no producer would have ever accepted. Well, was gone. You gotta sing that again. Yeah. Well, so. it goes back to what Jesse says, it had no soul, you know, right? right? The vocals, you know, eventually, it, you know, you do need to have the human at it to kind of tweak it, you know, exactly like what I ask my students to do, don't just spit back what it gives me, tweak it, right? have a conversation with it, critically think about what it's sharing with you and say, is this enough? Can I do better? Which I would hope if we really are human, we would want to do better. We would want to push it to the next level. And that's the good part of this. You know, we, we used to snicker at Pro Tools, we used to snicker at, at, at synthesizers. You know, these things became valuable tools in the hands of creators. This yeah. can... Also, I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but you know, there's, it's, could you so imagine using I mean, this? But you there go. is a reason why you know, I use the tools as well, but, and this is controversial, but there's a reason why in today's modern time, there's no Bob Marley. Right. Because again, art comes from wrestling. And so when you have a tool to like push you forward, without the wrestle, then you skip over some steps that are spiritual. It might be in the tonation of your voice. It might be that you want to put a rasp right here, but you don't know quite how to get it the way you want it to sound. 
It might take you months to develop that within yourself. And it's that process that creates greatness, absolute greatness that resonates with the spirit. Bob Marley himself evolved from his earliest stuff in 1962 Absolutely. to the later stuff as he became deeper yeah. and richer as an individual. Yeah. And that's, that's in there. Right, the wisdom that comes with life and how that translates through art. I think there's going to be a pendulum swing because yeah, this is, so. I'm the resident old guy on the panel, right? I've been around a long time. And when something, I remember in the 1980s when everything was synthetic and it was all synthesizers and heavy, you know, JX8Ps and Prophet 5s. And this artist comes out with something with an acoustic piano and everybody goes, holy crap. And he had a number, number one record. That's Bruce Hornsby on the way it is where it's like, that sounds brand new. And I have a feeling that what's going to, yes, everybody talks like that. What's going <laughs> to happen with us is that we're going to be sitting there going, we've got a really cool novel idea. How about a real human emotion? Yeah. And people are going to go, oh my God, I haven't even heard that. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I'm not afraid of it. I want to make sure that the existing rights for people who do create copyright, right of publicity, legal compliance, notification, Transparency, yeah, that's my unique human intellectual capacity, and the inability for a machine to own a copyright are maintained. Let's give each of you a minute to say anything you didn't say that you want to say, and then we'll take a couple questions. I said everything. <laughs> I'm just happy she to be really, here, and really I'm happy. Did. I'm happy to um, get to share thoughts and get to express myself in this way that I don't usually. Uh, get to and I'm so grateful to learning from the both of you and just grateful for all the listeners what she said <laughs> yeah same same definitely let's open it up for some questions uh, introduce yourself first and hi is this on yeah. cool yep. hi my name is Kevin I'm from uh, digital LA and LA uh, totally awesome panel appreciate it in the first five minutes I asked chat GPT to write a song from the point of view of Jesse Wilson being a black woman from New York, and it did. Oh so I can read it, and you can basically okay, say whether you like wrong, it or not. Wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> All right, so here we go, here we go. I'm Jesse Wilson from the city that never sleeps. I'm proud of who I am. I'm a black woman, can't you see? From Harlem to Brooklyn, from Queens to the Bronx, I've made my way through the city, never feeling lost. My roots run deep, my heart beats strong. I'm a black woman from New York, and I belong. It's cliche. <laughs> I'm serious. Right? I'm serious. It rhymes. But I think kudos. We're gonna start a channel called the shit. Yeah, yeah. I said it's, it's cliche. It's, 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 it rhymes. The city but that kudos. never sleeps. Everybody knows that New York never sleeps. Do, do they know that it smells stinky when the garbage truck goes by at six o'clock in the morning and it's dripping all the nasty like garbage juice? <laughs> like it rhymed and that's cute and that's great. But no. And not, gonna, a, not a single gonna, word dealt with the feeling of the person who wrote the song. I'm going to also say or the feelings of the Jesse person Wilson. the song was directed I'm to. Gonna, sorry, I also want to say there's, there's two things here. You're absolutely right. That's a, those are bad lyrics. But I also want to say that's 2023. Of course. So, so this, is, this is something no... I mean, lest we get too secure as the smartest things on the planet... You know, that would have been impossible for a computer to do three years ago. What happens in three years, six years, nine years? That, those kinds of lyrics might use better rhymes. They might right. get into the garbage juice, but, but they're not going to get into your head. It, exactly. It asked, he asked it 
to write a song about Jesse Wilson in New York City. And when we listen to music, we want to know about the person behind the music. I don't care about what a computer has to say about what it might feel like to be me. I want to know, if you were a musician, the only reason why I'm interested in you at all is because I want to know you. That's it. I want to know your story, not a generated version of your story, your story. Jesse won computer zero. Go ahead. Just one last thing before we get there is that in my big old hit song, what I hear from people is, man, you're reading my mail. You're telling my story. And I was telling mine, but they're saying I'm telling theirs. Hey there, Rob Price from School of Rock. Um, we're talking a lot about this idea of scraping, and um, to some extent, isn't all of um, songwriting scraping from previous genres, previous artists? So you look at Gold Digger, Gold Digger scraped from Ray Charles, but Ray Charles scraped from the Southern Tones. And they're not getting attribution, they're not necessarily getting credit, but they, the Southern Tones produced that song, you know, that led to I Got a Woman, that led to Gold Digger. We I, I think it's about, um, you're talking about inspiration and standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, remix and appropriation. However, with scraping like Stable Diffusion, Stable Diffusion they did, they're taking information and assets that are copywritten and then someone's taking ownership of it. That's a very big difference than than what you just shared as an example. Inspiration and influence, and we decide as creators how much of one influence we utilize compared to another. And sometimes it'll be more Ray Charles, and other times it'll be more Ray Conniff, and that's what we do on a given day. Yeah, I, I really think that the like the my my favorite principle is the last one. Trustworthiness and transparency are essential to the success of AI and protection of music creators, which I would say all artists. And I think that's what some of the developers are not doing, is they are not being trustworthy and transparent on where they're gathering their data. Thank you. And I also think when, when songwriters hear things that are influenced, it's filtered through consciously or not, who they are. Right. This is how, right, this is how this act saw that one. Respectfully, not, it's a conversation, but it, it's through people's experiences. I want to quickly bring up something that we talked about in the pre-panel too, forgive me, about my cousin Dave had something he said early in his career that I never forgot. He said, quote, I get a lot of mileage out of mistakes. Yeah. 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 Love that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, why do we keep on trying to make AI perfect? It's never going to be fucking perfect. You well, know, because it, it may have the bomb. But sorry, go ahead. Yes, uh, my name is Boughton Jones, B-O-U-T-O-N Jones. Uh, we can agree t we need uh, to develop standards and protocols for the ethical use of AI. As an example, for a timeline on the web, I used AI to create a very convincing image of J. Edgar Hoover in drag. I added the watermark identifying it as AI, as AI fake, and also included it in the alt tag. Uh, what would you suggest as specific concrete guidelines or standards? In my opinion, that was First Amendment protected. Yeah. That was an expression. You identified your sources. You identified it as generated by something. That's, to me, what wide you, open. 
Yeah, well, and you my, created my, that metadata, which mm -hmm. I think will travel with it, unless people pull it out, which mm -hmm. is what Stable Diffusion did, is they pulled out all of that info. Well, my, my concern was more that uh, someone might use it as a historical proof that J. Edgar Hoover dressed in drag. Mind you, I would relish uh, the irony of that. I, I think that he deserves it. But uh, as a historian, or rather a student of history, I, I wouldn't want it to be abused that way. Well, I think that's where ethics come in. And I think that if you're creating an image like that, you have to identify it, which, which you did, it, in both you know, text and metadata, I guess and someone could misuse it, um, that's really a matter for their ethics and their standards. You're, um, I, I don't want to say you're in the clear. You might want to monitor how it's used, but I, I think that you did your yeah. thing. Oh. Well, I think we got time for two more, and then the computer takes over. <laughs> <laughs> um, hi, um, my name is Rebecca Goldfarb. I'm a first year law student. And so I'm like really interested in like the intersection of like entertainment law technology, but also just different like advocacy and policy work like surrounding issues like just like this. You came to the right panel. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, as a law student, I was wondering if you knew of like any like good organizations or like companies to get involved with that address these ethical issues or are working to like fight issues like this. We got a list of 40. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're on the bottom. There's a list of 40 oh, of them. On no, they're not on, it's not on here, it's I'm sorry. List, it's on the so, web. I, I, what's not on the list that I would say is the Berkman Center at Harvard. Uh, okay. They were the ones that really led the, the charge on Creative Commons, uh, which I think could be one way that you would protect your work and think about derivatives, um, non-commercial versus commercial. Um, and I know that they are focusing on this as well right now. A number of people in this audience might also be um, advocates for such organizations. Perfect. Perfect. You'll have to identify them yourself. They're, be they're behind you. <laughs> Some of them are behind you. Perfect. Thank you. This is tall. Um, hello, my name is Ocean Riley. I am a freshman in college in relation to storytelling. I'm curious about, you all were talking about ethics in applying ethics to AI, what if we just teach the AI ethics itself and teach it, teach AI ethics and how, how it affects us? <laughs> that's, that's interesting. I, I, I have to say that's above my pay grade. I'm, I'm, I'm kicking the ball to our professor here. Okay, well, I will talk to him at dinner time. <laughs> um, good, very good question. Um, I actually think that is not a bad idea, is to ingest it. The key is, is we still, as a society, haven't laid out that ethical framework for multiple organizations to agree upon. And it's such a gray area that I think starting here with these principles and then extending it further to a framework we can give to developers would be the, the material needed in order to give it to AI. It's, it's also... It I, I'm on much less solid ground technically, which is a nice way of saying I don't really know what I'm talking about. But if you've raised a real child and tried to teach your son or daughter ethics, it's it's really hard. Um, some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you don't, but it's not it's it's hard and it's not the kind of slow, steady progress you might want to see 
in a laboratory simulation. You, you learn by making mistakes. Some of those are moral mistakes, ethical mistakes, whatever. And it's, it's hard to do that in a computer, quote unquote, in the wild. You're going to have a smarter way of saying that. I'm sorry. But what kind of mistakes is it going to make? What are the consequences of those mistakes? When a kid, when, um, you know, when an eight-year-old eats all the candy, the consequence is they get a tummy ache. AI could, you know, the consequences could be more profound. And that's, I mean, that frightens me. I, yeah, I, I, I will have to say that um, after I worked uh, with the machine, with IBM, uh, in training about emotion and motivation, I really had a moment of, dis- of internal discovery of like, should I let a machine know I'm like pretty much teaching it to understand motivation of humans, right? And um, I went away for the summer and I wrote, uh, uh, I was inspired by two things. One was this book called Find, um, Find, uh, Find, Finding Your Voice in Your Values. It's a great program, a program and book that's usually just taught to business leaders, but it's about lo- learning that in all of this r- disruption of technology, you have a choice, but you have to pause and understand what you value in humanity, in society, in culture that you want to choose to do. Um, and the, the other thing is, is define your code in, in this, we're going to be in an AI-rich society, so what is your code that you want to live by? And no, you can. You can do that. You know, raising a kid, as someone who's raised a kid into, into successful adulthood, there's no owner's manual. There's no off switch. It's a no-return policy. You don't just hand them a Bible, uh, the Boy Scout I have manual, issues with all on of the this, road the and tropic of cancer, and you're done. Depends on the day. It's an on- And the thing that I'm appreciating about everything I've been through with the... the Two panels today, the one I went to and this one that we're having, is the conversation. And this conversation cannot allow to to wane. This is not the first word, or it's the first word, not the last word. We're going to be talking about this for a long time to come, and it's going to evolve. Bring it on. Participate. Let us know what you think and what you're learning out there. Pay attention to what's in here, but we got to know what you're thinking. Especially if you're a creator. You know, a lot of the music industry advocacy work is done by professional organizations. They're very effective, but they this should not be a small conversation. It should be a broad conversation. Sometimes it may be a loud and messy conversation, but the important thing is that it start early and that it be rich and varied. Yeah, I I tell my students, um, prepare for jobs that don't exist today. You know, like this AI is totally changing the world. So be the ethicist. Go, I'm literally pointing to one of my students. Uh, You're a philosophy major. Uh, Go and actually, uh, you know, say to the people that are trying to hire you, I'm going to help you design that ethical framework. I understand this emerging technology and how it's shaping and changing creativity, but you haven't thought about this. And that's my job for you. We got one last question. Cool, I'll make it quick. Thanks. Um, so my question is about saturation. Um, Bob Dylan famously said there are enough songs in the world. We don't need any more songs. Um, songs happen when someone is inspired to write one. Uh, Bob Dylan has released 39 studio albums. As a solo artist, Lauren Hill released one. Maybe she said what she needed to say, and therefore that one album is a treasure. 
what is the purpose behind teaching computers to write songs? That's the one thing that I'm still not clear on. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a tough one. We got another panel? I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I'm, so not, I'm not laughing at that. I'm, I mean it. It's, it's, yeah, why? 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 And that's honestly. Money. Is that the choice money. we want? Yeah. I, I don't. It's money. I mean, I'm going to tell you that I think, like, I. I as a journalist, I wrote about music, and then I came to cover the music business. And I love music, and I'm interested in the music business. The obvious answer is computers are going to do this for money. I don't, a lot of people write songs for money. A lot of people write songs partly for money. Hardly anyone writes songs just for money. Um, God knows there's easier ways of making it. I, I, I don't know that... Um, I can't think of another reason. I think that points yeah, because to a real they problem. Can. I think that's even lot, worse. You know, it, yeah. it, it's true though, but because they then can. Then what, eth- then what do ethics matter if it's if the answer for is for the existence of who decided we wanted to split the atom or fuse it? Cloning. I think record labels uh, really cloning. want things because like we this. Can. Because we can. I think record labels really want things like this so that they can own more. I, I actually will tell you, I think 360 that's... 360 deal on steroids. You're both right. I mean, because we're so saturated with content, and as audiences, we want more and more. I mean, who doesn't wake up and immediately look at the content? And there's only so much that we have until we keep on giving But re- remember, Feed to be that. fair, this... Feed that beast. Under the current state of law, this is unownable. So, you, you know, like, like yeah. for now, and I, I don't... I. I'm actually more worried about dilu- the, the, the idea of dilution because I think yeah. that the AIs are likely to come up with a flood. Part of what we need to deal with, like we've talked a lot about the quality of work and the competition of work, but we also have to talk about work ethic. Mm-hmm. I like to think I work pretty hard. Yeah. You guys do too, I'm sure. AI is going to work Harder. It might not be better. I, I don't know. This is the kind of stuff that you might understand. I know I don't, but I know AIs don't need to eat, sleep, have a drink, meet a friend, all the stuff yeah. that we do, and and yes. they're going to work in massive. Right. They they don't. Yeah. It that's actually what we need to worry about. Might not be. It might not be how and who and where and when, but how much. There's going to be a flood, and part of the problem is going to be finding the human, not finding the human in the machine, but finding the human in the flood. You know, there's a famous saying, 90% of everything is crap, but we're now multiplying the the denominator exponentially. On that cheery note... (laughs) This is... is, uh, Thank you for enduring our panel of humans. Jesse, especially, you were fantastic. You were great. I, I think I got a couple years left before the machine replaces me. Um, my, my dad joke game is still strong. Thank you all for coming. <laughs>